presents Named and Claimed, the sermon by the Rev. Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, January 8, 2023. Well, last week when we gathered, we celebrated the arrival of the Magi from the East to Bethlehem to witness and worship the new King of the Jews, whose arrival they had read in the stars. The Magi, who accidentally tipped off Herod, an efficient and efficiently ruthless leader, and then were warned in a dream to head home by a different road. A symbol, some say, of the different road we all have to take after we have an encounter with Christ. And now today, the lectionary jumps us forward 30 years because the Gospels do the same thing. With the exception of that one story in Luke about 12-year-old Jesus being kind of snotty in the temple, There are 30 years where we don't know what was happening in Jesus's life. And we're left wondering, did Jesus know that he was the Messiah all that time? And what happened to the Magnificat and the Benedictus, those beautiful prophetic prayer songs that Mary and Zechariah spoke about Jesus and his identity? Didn't everybody know who he was? This is a question the Gospels seem uninterested in. Instead, the pressing question for them in the text is, how is the good news of the birth of the King of the Jews going to be manifested to the whole world, to benefit the whole world? So far, for those 30 years between the birth narratives and the baptism narratives, the answer has seemed to be, I don't know, or at best, wait and see. But now it comes out as Jesus steps into the water of the Jordan and comes up again into the blessing of God and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself is going to spread the good news of the birth of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to spread the news that the reign of God is going to be manifested through his ministry, in his speech, and in his deeds. This is the surprise of Jesus' baptism. In this body of this one person himself, that is where the light of God is going to shine from, where the good news of God is going to be manifest. Our story begins before the reading that we heard today with the appearance of John in the wilderness of Judea, wild and unkempt, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. I was caught up this week and went down a bunch of rabbit holes, remembering that John is the son of a priest, and the temple existed for people's worship and for offerings and sin offerings, and there was a whole established way of coping with human frailty in the temple system. But somehow, John ended up in the wilderness, unkempt, eating locusts and wild honey, dressed in very peculiar clothing. And the fascinating thing is, despite the temple, despite its system, people came from all over to hear what John was preaching. Perhaps it is true that because of Herod and his efficiency 
and his complicity with Rome, the powers in the temple had also become complicit. It is a, um, a complaint that Jesus will make in his teaching, that the temple itself had somehow been taken over, in a sense, by Roman power and become complicit. And we know from history how easy it is for religious organizations of every religion, especially and including our own, to become complicit with governmental power. That was one rabbit hole. But in the story, people came from all over to hear what John was preaching and to have themselves submerged in the water of the Jordan and brought up again, fresh and renewed, in a culture that prized honor and tried to push shame away, people came right out and said, these are the sins I have committed. Take me to the water. And John did. All the while John was preaching them and washing them free from their faults and their burdens, their mistakes and their wrongs, John was doing it to help prepare the way for Jesus, to bring a, world of, a, a word of hope and peace into a world of unspeakable violence and cruelty. Because yes, that was the world then as it is now. The Ro Roman occupation of Jerusalem created a climate of fear and manipulation and betrayal. Revolutionary groups within the people of Israel targeted the leaders who had sold out to the occupying forces. It was hard to keep track of allegiances, and there was always some new person claiming to be the Messiah. John uniquely made no such claim about himself. He came to prepare the way for another, for the true Messiah, who, he said, would baptize them not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And then the strangest thing of all happened. Jesus did appear right there among the crowd at the edge of the river. And instead of upstaging John with the fire and smoke that John promised this new person was going to bring, he got in line to be led down into the river and lowered into the water. John argued and said, that can't be right. I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing? But Jesus prevailed. I love this short story so much because in these few verses, so much is affirmed. As he stepped into the same river and was laid back under the same water as the fishermen and the shepherds, the seamstresses and the bakers waiting on the shore, we are reminded that Jesus lived a full human life, full of the same hunger and thirst, joy and loss, curiosity and wonder as every other human being. But also, as he came up out of the water, we are reminded by the opening of the heavens and the spirit landing like a dove that he was uniquely one with God. A couple of years ago, I was listening to a podcast and I learned something utterly new to me. In some forms of Christianity, the festival of the baptism of the Lord, which we most Christians recognize as part of the season of Epiphany, part of the showing forth who Jesus was. In some forms of Christianity, this festival of the baptism of our Lord is an even bigger celebration than Christmas. Now, given our cultural background and what we have just been through, 
That's a bit hard to get our heads around. But according to New Testament scholar and podcast co-host Matt Skinner, it's absolutely true. Apparently, he was not paying attention to the liturgical calendar when he planned a trip to Israel. And he and his tour group arrived at the River Jordan at the purported site of Jesus' baptism on the day when the Syrian Orthodox and the Coptic Orthodox churches celebrate the festival of the baptism of our Lord. It was, in Matt's own words, nuts. It was so crowded that it was dangerous. People in the group almost got trampled by the rush trying to navigate the barricades down to the river. If you can imagine the kind of barricades that get set up around an arena when there's a great big rock band, those same kind of barricades were set up on the path down to the River Jordan. This spot at the river is a hugely popular pilgrimage and tourist site, and it's often busy and crowded. But on this day, according to Matt, it was actually scary it was so busy. And for some people, it ended up being a terrible day. But for most, it was just joyous. There was a service going on in Aramaic on both sides of the river, and a Syrian Orthodox service on the West Bank side. People were singing and celebrating, renewing their baptisms, some being baptized for the first time, leaping into the water, literally doing cannonballs out of sheer delight. The air was filled with the hum of voices and singing and prayer. Then suddenly the police arrived, clearing the roads because the Coptic Pope was driving up in a Lexus, like maybe he just popped over from Egypt for the day. Matt, with his main American mainline church background, and I'm pretty sure he's a Presbyterian of the stripe that's quite similar to us here in the UCC in many ways. And he has a rather reserved personality. And he said at first he felt himself, he felt really rather appalled at this cacophony, at this holy site where he had come for a spiritual moment. But as he stood back, he found himself swept into the joy and the grandeur and just the sheer delight of it all. The pilgrimage and energy that had brought people from all over the world to this place to say it was here that the human Jesus stepped into the water, here that his belovedness was announced by God, and the flashing arrival of the Spirit. Here is where I, too, want to be baptized. Here is where I want to claim that I belong to that same family, to claim my identity as a beloved child, and to begin to walk on the path that Christ taught. How delightful to know that for some parts of the Christian family, that this is how they experience and express their journey of faith, that this is a huge day in the global church, which we have so little awareness of. Matt's co-host on that same podcast, Joy J. Moore, was so moved by Matt's remembrance of the unexpected jolt of joy he received that instead of turning to the next passage and offering a scholarly assessment, as would normally happen at about that point, she shared her story of being in the Jordan River. She was there with some, a group of Lutheran clergy from the United States, none, only one of whom spoke any other language than English. And she was standing there among throngs of people from all over the world. 
As they stood waiting for their turn to get down to the river to renew their baptismal vows, they noticed a particularly ebullient group nearby, about 20 people who had traveled independently from all over the Spanish-speaking world and then found each other and formed themselves into a group. As they waited, they apparently noticed the clerical collars that those Lutheran clergy were wearing, and they approached and said, please, we have no one to baptize us. So one by one, the Spanish speakers of whatever denomination stepped down into the river, and one by one, taking turns, the Lutheran pastors stepped with, down into the water with them, and with their colleague translating, they baptized the strangers who were now part of one family. The baptism we receive acknowledges also that our flesh and bones are beloved, that in the skin we're wearing, we are beloved, just as Jesus was in his flesh and bones, in the skin he was wearing. When Jesus appeared at the River Jordan, he insisted that John baptize him to fulfill all righteousness, to complete the word of God. Righteousness in this case means right relationship with God. He wanted to make manifest to the world the rightness of the relationship between himself, the creator, and the spirit. And so we do as Jesus did. We baptize. Ready to repent, that is, turn toward God, seeking connection with God, we submit ourselves to baptism. Or for many of us, our parents did it for us, turning themselves toward God and bringing their infant or toddler ch children to be baptized, blessed, and pronounced beloved. And in that act of infant baptism or child baptism, they covenant with the community into which the child is baptized to, to create a nurturing environment so that child might later affirm their baptism in the act of confirmation. Baptism can seem from the outside like maybe we think we're doing something magical. It isn't magic, but it is powerful. It is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. It is a gift for us, not a requirement of us. It does not change God or how God feels about us, but it can open our hearts to the reality it names and claims, a reality that has always been human belovedness. It isn't something done in solitude. It wasn't for Jesus, and it isn't for us. It is, as I said, a communal act. Every year as we read about Jesus' baptism, we're encouraged to remember our own, or perhaps to anticipate the baptism we are planning. Now, that's not such an easy task if we were months or weeks or even just days old when our parents had us baptized. We may have seen the pictures and heard a sweet story or two, but the event itself is buried in whatever impressions an infant mind can store. But many of us can remember that we have been baptized. We have been named and claimed and acknowledged as a member of the same loving family in which Jesus is a dearly loved son. Promises were made, whether by, for us or by us, to renounce evil and oppression 
and to follow in the way Christ laid out for us, the way of justice, mercy, and peace. We have been charged as disciples with work to do in the world. As Reverend Garnos Holmes put it recently, we are not baptized into a club. We are baptized into a workforce, the body of Christ, sent to do the work of healing and grace. And we have been promised as disciples that we will not have to do that work alone. The Holy Spirit will be present with us, empowering, enabling, and sustaining us. And of course, we have been promised the gift of each other. Baptized as we have been into the very body of Christ, we belong to each other, a sign and a symbol that all Earth's people belong to each other. It is not a club to exclude but a symbol to expand and express the belovedness of all people. As 2023 unscrolls in front of us, as we get swept up in all the intensity of our modern life, as we read it on our devices, as the climate crisis looms and war continues in Ukraine, as violence drives refugees from their homes by their thousands, and they arrive at our border, and we have no plan. Take refuge in this, that you are, or can be, baptized, that you have resources within yourself and resources in the community to which you have been called. We are not alone. And when the world is too much for us, we are invited to practice the pause and to remember our baptism. Whether we are angry or stressed or frightened, whether we are disgusted with the world, we are invited to pause and remember who we are. No matter how dark or bright this wounded world of ours may become, we belong to the light, which shall not, will not, cannot be overcome. Take refuge, take heart, and rejoice in the unsung, unconquerable good. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.